All right. You know, have you heard this before? Jesus spent one third of his ministry doing what? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Deliverance. One third healing, one third teaching. But tonight, we're going to do something else. We're going to talk about sweet sleep. And actually the concept of AKA, also known as hearing God at night. I don't know whether to say that maybe you're not as spiritual as what we just did on the last list, but it says you sleep about one-third of your lifetime. So if you die at a young age, let's say 75 years of age, you die at a young age, then you've slept 25 years of your life away. <laughs> kind of hard to believe, isn't it? So I'm going to give you a beautiful verse. If any of you struggle with sleep, Proverbs 3.24 so beautiful. He gives sweet sleep to his beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Those are beautiful words. He gives sweet sleep to his beloved. So if you, you know, if you look at your life, it's 100 years, 33 and a third. Yeah. So it's really kind of an important subject when you think you're going to spend 25 years doing this. Even if you have a short life, it's 25 years. And so dream time is about 80 to 100 minutes a night. That's what they estimate. So the period of dreaming, 80 to 100. So we're not quite at two hours of your third of your life is spent in dreams. And dreams are usually in color, true or false? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Ma. <laughs> you know, our favorite pastor these days, he was preaching on demonic activity in the night or in your life that can cause nightmares or dream problems. And so I was thinking about him and his sermon. You know, I was thinking about different things that challenge us about sleep. Because you need to get your sleep where it's serving God, where things are under your feet. So if you wake up tired and go to bed tired, that can be a problem. And I'm going to give you a, a couple of ideas of why you could wake up tired and go to bed tired. Part of it is you may not be getting into bed for enough sleep. But part of it can be, it can be witchcraft. I mean, I mean, we'll throw that in there. Anytime someone's around a lot of that, it gives you this thing called fatigue. You're just tired. Someone's draining your emotional strength from you. But another thing is if you have a lot of adrenaline in your life. And so when you have adrenaline, it courses through your veins. I had this guy, and he was preaching crusades for thousands of people. And he told me, I have the funniest feelings in my arms at night. They just tingle, and they don't feel right. And I told him, I figured out what it is. You have this chemical called adrenaline that flows through your veins. And then when your system starts emptying out, some of it, it gives you a funny little feeling inside. It just, it feels like something's wrong. It's just kind of a, like nerves. It's after a lot of adrenaline rush. And so if you're an adrenaline junkie, you're shooting it through your veins. It's kind of like some of you who take a lot of caffeine, you know, it just goes through your system and eventually you have to have it. Well, adrenaline works the same way and it can give you that feeling of tiredness because of a lot of high-packed adrenaline. So there's different things that it can be. 
But we're going to talk tonight about different aspects of dreams and what you can expect out of them. So if you're dealing with bad dreams, I'm going to give you a verse. Let's look at Psalm 91, verse 5. It's the night torment. It says here that you'll be delivered from the fear of the terrors by night. And there's something about it that night just gives you more terror. As soon as that dawn starts breaking, I just feel better about everything. You just, you feel safer. But night has a certain terror to it. And so this gives you your verse of protection. That Psalm 91, verse 5, you can be delivered from the night terrors. You know, let's just write it down. Bad dreams aren't sweet sleep. That's not what makes you sleep good. So there's something wrong between you and your promise if you're having bad dreams. So it could be maybe like the guy was preaching this weekend. He said he just went through his house to see if there was anything in his house that shouldn't be there. He found some things and he threw them out because the whole family was having tormenting dreams. I think he found the Pokemon cards is what he said. But you might look and see, is there something giving a legal entry into your house? Is there something that's bringing the bad dreams about? But if not, you've got a promise and you've got to figure out what is it inside of you that is not allowing your sleep to be peaceful, full of the Spirit of the Lord, strengthening you, making you just full of the fruit of the Spirit the next day. And so I would say that tormenting dreams are actually a good way to practice something. When I was first learning the authority of the believer, I would have a terrible dream, and something really bad would happen to me in the dream. Somebody would you know, just come after me, attack me, and it would be a terrible dream. But I was so working with my authority during the daytime that at night, in my dream, while I'm still asleep, I tell myself, stop. <laughs> and I would tell myself, go back and redream that dream correctly. <laughs> and so in the beginning, I wasn't dreaming my authority. I was dreaming very much calamities coming on me, things happening bad to me, just just endless. You just felt worn out. You know, have you ever felt like, heck, it's not 80 to 100 minutes a night. I've dreamed it the whole night long, these terrifying dreams. Have you ever felt like you dreamed it for eight and a half hours and you only slept eight hours? I mean, you felt like you were worn out because you lay there after it's over with thinking this was so real. But you can start interjecting the authority of the believer into your night dreams. And you can tell yourself you will dream the word of the Lord. Sometimes it was enough that I'd wake myself up from my dream. And I would tell myself, self, go back to sleep and redream this dream correctly. This is not the right way. And I would redream my dream and I would dream it using the authority that I had in the in the Lord. And so what did I do? I increased my daytime hours of 16 hours to having 24 hours of walking in my authority. Because I've known people that are in charge of their day with the Word of God for the 16 hours, but during the night hours, they lost control of it. Like they were like, oh, I can't do anything about it. My dreams just do whatever they want to. Yes, but you do have the ability to make your subconscious go back and line up to God's word. So if you've had terrible things happen to you, you may need some deliverance. 
Do you have things that plague you in your sleep? It's an indicator. You need to have it where it, the pureness of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord cause your sleep to be very, very good. Remember, he gives sweet sleep to you, his beloved. I'll soak that in. I don't give you a whole lot of good Bible states where I'm not thrashing you. So you need to really soak in tonight that I'm promising you, you can have a good night's sleep. And this can be the way you live your life. And you'll look younger. I mean, you're not going to look trashed out and thrashed out the next morning. You're not going to look like those Hollywood movie stars. <laughs> I look at some of them and think, you've lived a hard life. I mean, you've just had some bad things happen to you. It shows on your face. And so a lot of it is you can have that younger look from having the Lord just give you good sleep at night. You know, someone once said that a clean conscience is a soft pillow. So I've kidded some of y'all when y'all told me you had a bad night of dreams. I go, mm-hmm. Let's go to the banana room. It's time to talk. So there is a lot to be said inside of yourself that, remember, you have dominion. The one place you have mastery. The one place that you self-govern is in your own body. So before you get out trying to tell everyone else what to do, you need to make sure that your body, your life, what you're responsible for is lining up with the Word of God. So using the authority of the name of Jesus in your dreams. I would tell you that in your dreams, it needs to be you resist the enemy. You resist evil. You don't ignore it. That it's part of it that you use that resistance. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to ignore evil or just try to get away from something that bothers you. That you actually resist. Now, I'm going to tell you what I like about dreams. This is something I think is very good. When you have a dream, you have a forewarning. Mm -hmm. So if I have a bad dream about someone being in a calamity, in a car wreck, or in an accident... I immediately have the chance to start praying for them. I start forbidding it. I start praying a different outcome on them. Usually I'll go to that person and say, can I pray with you? Can we take authority together? Let's get two or three of us in an agreement. Let's really agree over your dreams because it gives me a chance to change it. I don't like sneaky snakes that bite me in the grass that I never saw. I don't like sneak attacks by the enemy then pay attention because the Lord is trying to forewarn you. He's trying to give you the chance to use your, your prayer life and change it. So, night torment. Another thing is sometimes you deal with things that are not realities, but they're fantasies. And I'm going to give you a verse that 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. And it's called, I, I love this name, Vain Imaginations. So what are your imaginations like? Does your imagination line up with God's word? Or is your imagination vain? Isn't that a great word? It's cousins to vile, vain, vile. You don't want to have vain, vile imaginations. Yeah, I had one of my college kids. This is a long, long, long time ago before y'all, so you don't have to be looking around who it was. But anyway, they had lustful dreams. And they said it hit them all the time. They could hardly come out of their sleep. They said, but I got victory over it. And I said, how'd you get victory over it? And they said, I threw all the pictures away of the person. 
<laughs> so anyway, I got tickled at that. But some of you, there are open doors that um, you might have a reason why you're having these kind of dreams. People get into so much weird stuff in this culture of the dream thing. And I'm like, just make it simple. We should be having sweet sleep. We should be able to have relaxation when we sleep. It's enough that you wake up and you have to fight the devil. So in your sleep, you should have authority over it. Now, if it's fantasies or if it's something that ought not be, and there is an open door, there's something that has maybe defiled you somewhat, that something has come into your life and your heart needs healing, where the Lord didn't say you're going to last it and be a victim the rest of your life. You're just going to be traumatized by that. It does not say that. It says Luke 4, that there's an anointing to heal the brokenhearted, that God wants your heart healed, your memories, your recall, that trauma comes off of you, the shock comes off of you, that literally you can have your imaginations redeemed. And so I'm really strong on the fact that you do not allow yourself to ever let the devil make you a victim or any person make you a victim. You are not a victim. There is nothing in the scripture that you can back up the right to maintain that you're a victim. And some people, as Christians, they fight for that right. I mean, I think they make clubs around it. And in the clubs, after they fight to be a victim, they start blaming. It is not meant to be. Christians have power, love, and a sound mind. That is a great mixture for good night's sleeping. When you have love and power, you're not powerless in a sound mind. So if it's false and if there's something just wrong with the person, sometimes there is just a spirit on somebody that there's just something not quite right with their discernment or their spirit. Something just doesn't line up with truth. And it will come out in their dreams. I want you to hear this verse. You might never have thought about this verse in connection to this, but in Jeremiah 29, 8, there can be false dreams. And it comes from the spirit is subject to the prophet. Perhaps it's something like that, that there's something entangling it. So I would invite you to let the love of truth come in. But this is what Jeremiah tells you. For this is what the Lord of armies Wow, that's a powerful name by the time you're calling him the Lord of the armies. The God of Israel says, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst or your diviners deceive you. In other words, it's up to you not to be deceived. And people say, Well, how can I keep from being deceived? Right now, it's telling you, Do not be deceived. Do not let a man, a woman, anyone deceive you. It's a day of much deception upon the earth. There's much in the area of false teachers. And it's at your fingertips you can get it. I mean, every kind of perverse, weird, twisted-off doctrine is out there. And this verse tells you, you do not let your prophets who are in your midst deceive you. Do not let your diviners, those that play with the magical arts, those who dabble with a little bit of this witchy thing, those who get into this soulish kind of bizarreness, don't let them deceive you. And then it says the strangest thing, and do not listen to your dreams which you dream. 
Because what happens? The deception goes into you. It goes so far into you, it bypasses your mind. It goes into your conscious, your subconscious being. And that gets into your dream realm. That's why people will start dreaming their fantasies. They will start dreaming their sorceries. They'll start dreaming this weird stuff. It's a defilement at the deepest levels. And Jeremiah tells you you can do something about it. It says, do not let them deceive you, neither the prophets, those who speak on behalf of God, nor the diviners. And by the way, don't listen to yourself in your subconscious. So this is a word of caution to you, that you must take vain imaginations, and you must bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. Now that's a great way to think about it. Like you let that thing be taken captive. You bring those thoughts, those imaginations into obedience to the Lord. Now this is a powerful aspect of you governing your subconscious. It's that dormant area we talk about. It's one of the next areas that we're going to go into. There's a lot to be said in this area. But Jeremiah 29.8 is pretty straight talking. So good dreams... Remember, this is a happy night. I'm happy. But it's good dreams learning to hear God with your nighttime hours. Are there some significant or famous dreams in the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about dreams? I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five. Significant famous dreams. Joseph, his life was pit to prison. <laughs> to Pharaoh, to prime minister. <laughs> pit to prison. Pharaoh, the prime minister. Oh, don't forget Miss Potiphar was in there too. She's one of the peas. So he became second in command over Egypt. He had the dream in the beginning about the sheaves would bow down to him and the stars would bow down to him. So it's possible that you may have dreams that God is going to make you successful. <laughs> like what it says, like Abraham, where it says, I'm going to make your name great. Remember what I've told you about success? If you allow God to do it to you, it's one of the most humble things that you can do. You have to steward success. Let me give you other words. You've got to steward the avalanche of people that want something from you. <laughs> I mean, it's something. So this is what Joseph had. He worked a lot of things out in the pit and prisons and what he did for the Potiphar's. But then he had a dream of the cupbearer and the baker, and then was paved the way for where he would go next. So Joseph, he was a man of dreams. It's interesting to think that your dreams can make you famous. Your dreams can be that prophetic voice that speaks to people. Now, I'm going to say Joseph again, but this is a different Joseph. And this guy, he was really righteous. He was engaged to the love of his life. He was so happy. He was getting married. And you don't think anything could wreck that except one small problem. She turns out pregnant. So this is a different Joseph. <laughs> and it says being a righteous man and being just shocked at what she had managed to do behind his back. I mean, he's looking at everyone with distrust these days. I mean, he doesn't trust anyone. He's, he can't believe this happened to her. 
But he's righteous, is how the Bible puts it. And he decides, let's not stone her to death. So he could pat himself on the back that he wasn't going to take the out in the Old Testament of just being out there and stone the woman. It's a good thing he didn't. But all of a sudden, an angel appears to him. This is when you really appreciate the help of heaven. I bet Mary said a hundred thank yous to the Lord for taking care of this trouble, this trauma in her relationship. So God will sometimes send an angel to straighten out your problems. And the angel appeared and told him, reconcile with Mary. Yeah, someone got to her. It was me, said the Lord. <laughs> There's a first time for everything. <laughs> oh my goodness, who would believe it? I mean, you'd have to have an angel tell you that. I mean, honestly, does that pass the straight face test? I mean, it had to be God going direct with Joseph. But man to man, they talked. <laughs> In Matthew 1.20, God did a very kind thing to Mary because she just said to him, I'm your servant, do to me as you want. I mean, her words were beautiful. And she goes, but I don't understand how this can happen. I have never known a man. And he said, it will be the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And it'll be for me. But he doesn't tell you that sometimes getting involved with God will get you in so much trouble. I mean, that's never preached. I mean, you're thinking, wow, she was picked among women. One small problem. I'm telling you, God has that ability to burst those wineskins. He has that ability to gloriously ruin your life. <laughs> Thank goodness for angels and wisdom. Literally, God intervenes for man. Then you look at this thing called the wise men. The wise men who had no discernment. They're running their mouth and they tell, they tell the fact that there's a king and he's been born. And so Herod was a little bit jealous, like most kings are, and he said, could you tell me where this king is so I could come worshiping? Yeah. And God has to appear to the wise men in the dream and say, don't go home the same way. I don't care if you've given your word. This is where you, you have so many people go, well, I gave my word, I have to go do it. i got to go dump my guts. I'm just not honest. I don't feel genuine about myself. You know what? What you've already pulled is going to get a whole city of two-year-olds and under killed. So if you want to keep it up, keep it up. Because you made a mistake the first time and you got to own it. And it's the mercy of God to tell you to back out of what you're doing. And you need to pay attention because people act so self-righteous and it was their own not hearing that caused the mess. And there were three of these guys, well, we don't know how many wise men there were. I mean, that's debated, but there were more than one of these guys. And they couldn't hear God tell them, uh-uh, don't do it. They had to just let them know, we're in for a visit. We've got important news. Don't you see the star? Yeah. So here, they were warned by God in a dream. Don't do it. You've already caused a lot of trouble. Right now, a lot of people are hearing, you've already messed things up, you wise man. <laughs> You're making trouble. This is very sensitive with us with God. And that's why God needs this extra eight hours to speak to you in. So, let's go back to Joseph now. Because of what the wise men have done, 
to him. Now he's in a mess because he's with the woman. And so he has another dream. And it says, move Jesus to Egypt. And that's Matthew 2.13. Let me read you a sentence and see how theologically you like this. This dream from God gave God protection. Well, I thought you could just stay where you were. If you had enough faith, why don't you just stay put? Wouldn't there be angels around this? Why do you have to scram? I mean, I've read the verse of Rachel crying for her children. She's buried along the, the road, and she's weeping because that night as they came through with swords, you're hearing the screams of the parents as they stabbed these two-year-olds and younger, as they beheaded them, as the families were screaming, why would you come into my house and kill my, my baby? The wise men don't seem so wise right now, do they? But again, a dream had to be used. So before you get arrogant and ethical, you need to realize your responsibility that sometimes we can harm other people without meaning to. And this is what was going on that night, was the dream was giving Jesus protection. So unusual to me. And told him, take your son and pass him down to Egypt. Now, that's a study within itself. Sometimes God will tell you, don't go. Don't go down into Egypt. And sometimes he tells you, do go. But it fulfilled the scripture that they waited till Herod died and it said, out of Egypt, I'll call my son. Very unique. Then, of course, one of my favorite dreams is Pontius Pilate's wife. Matthew 27, 19. Why did God not tell Pilate himself? Why does God have to use your wife to talk to you? The dream is a warning for someone else. So this is what I was talking about. Sometimes your dream is to warn someone else. And she sent a messenger to her husband and says, don't have a thing to do with this man. It's been in a dream to me. So this is very important that God sometimes, for some reason, can't seem to speak to you. And he'll speak to someone close to you to give you a warning. All these things are the grace of God. The mercy of God. So, good dreams. Learning to hear God in your nighttime's hours. Knowing when to interpret. This truly is a dream from the Lord. You know, we have a friend, and she did a video clip of this, and, and her name is Janet Renfro. But she had a very vivid dream of her son drowning. When she saw him drown, she said it took 40 minutes of praying before she felt like the battle was over. So during the night, that's when she had it. So she wrote it in her prayer journal. And he came home from a visit from Guam, just as they were making conversation, catching up on everything. She said, tell me about when you almost drowned. In other words, son, you never told me on the phone anything about this. And he was shocked, and he said, how'd you know about that? He had purposely decided to keep it from her so that she wouldn't ever know. Not knowing that his mother is the reason he's sitting in front of her. She told him that she had been awakened by a dream and that she had interceded for him. And when she pulled out the journal, what had been the night for her here was the daytime for him there. And with the time change, Janet said that the incident matched up of when he had drowned. Now, <clears throat> Janet's husband, Bob, had thought she had been crazy about this dream. He was amazed when he watched the times match up. 
The son told her that he had been surfing and was caught in the undertow, and he swam, but as he was swimming, he was going nowhere. Just as he was about to give up, all of his hope was gone, all of his strength was gone. He couldn't pull out of it. He suddenly saw a coral reef, and he took a deep breath, and he plunged under the water, and he followed the reef upwards. He was very sliced up from the sharp rocks on the reef, but that final breath and the last bit of strength saved his life from the whirlpool that he had been sucked into and carried out to sea. So the way he lived was that he grabbed his breath, went under, and followed it up. He could not get out of that churning of the waters. She told me uh, when she saw him, he looked like a little drowned rat. So dreams and interpretations are very unique. Even the timing of your dreams can be very important, significant. Write them down, date them. You know, your phone, it has a recorder in it. You can keep up with your dreams. So in Genesis 15, 12, Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And he has a prophecy about how it's going to go with the entire nation. In fact, it gives him the specific numbers of years that at first his people would go into a different land, but eventually they would forget who these people were and they would make slaves out of them. But he told them, after this many years, you'll come out. 400 years. But it's unique that he told them the specific amount of time that they would be in darkness. That's how he saw it in the dream. Now, Genesis 40, verse 8 with Joseph, he says something unusual about dreams, and you need to write this down. Interpretation belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to your dream manual. It doesn't belong to the dream conference. It doesn't belong to the weird people. It doesn't belong to the witchcraft people. Interpretation belongs to the Lord. So... I would say sanctify the interpretation of your dream. Just ask the Lord, sanctify my dreams, sanctify the interpretation of my dreams. I'm going to use, for instance, in Joseph's life, since he is the one that said it. In three days, the butler will be restored. He knew because the dream said it will lift up your head. But the baker will lose his head because the dream said it will lift off your head. Uh, so these are very specific dreams. Just one small word, lift up, lift off. <laughs> there was only one man who could remember Joseph. Problem. <laughs> so he dreamed seven years of fat, seven years of lean. And that dream moved him into action to save a nation and began the fulfillment of Abraham's dream where the children of Israel would go there to be saved to set him up for the land of Goshen. Now, I've led up to by far my favorite dream and interpretation. I mean, I just can't get over it. Joseph prophesied to Pharaoh. But in Daniel 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 10 through 12, 17 through 19, 27 through 28. Just read Daniel 2. It's an unbelievable story. I'm going to read it to you. It's just too good not to before I make my little comments. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell them 
what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. In other words, interpretation doesn't belong to the Lord in this camp. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. Now, he gets them all before him, and he says, if you don't tell me what the dream is, now that's real interpretation. When you've got to tell the guy what he dreamed. You think I'm rough on y'all sometimes. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. I'm just always thinking, now this was just considered common assignments. And once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll interpret it. And the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time. Now it's you're wasting my time. <laughs> just got to like this guy. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. Like I've made a decision. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can interpret it. Well, yeah, that'd prove it. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. This made the king very angry and furious. Not just angry, he's angry and furious. So he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. We'll just kill out all the wise ones. We'll keep the dummies. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Nothing like getting them involved a little bit. They weren't even there. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. He didn't sound like the other one. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now this guy doesn't run, he goes forward. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Remember Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. I, I don't want to say their Hebrew names. Hannah, Meshach, Azariah. Okay. <laughs> and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Now, I want you to catch that because this is the realm you're dealing in, is mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Look, guys, we've got a problem. So he tells his friends, he explains it, and he said, start crying out for mercy. Just when you don't know what to cry for, cry for mercy. Yeah, because the realms of mercy are very unusual. They're the realms of mystery. So that's what he's told them to do. Get into the realms of mercy. 
So when they did, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, now he didn't just run to the king, he took time for the real king. And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. Mm. He deposes kings and he raises up others. Hallelujah, may it be. <laughs> he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Like, you know what that says? God's got to have something to work with. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, the God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power and you have made known to me what we ask of you. And you have made known to me the dream of this king. Then Daniel goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute everyone. <laughs> the wise men of Babylon and said to him, don't execute them. Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I'll interpret his dream for you. Wouldn't you be pleased with this man of God? I mean, he could have said, well, go ahead and let the magicians be wiped out here. And then we'll talk. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what the dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Let's just make this clear. And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And that's what you're into. When you're asking for this, you've got to realize it's your time in the presence of God where he will reveal mysteries to you. You are not supposed to be the dumbest one on the block. The last one to know when things are happening. The least to understand. It says that God is in the business of revealing mysteries. And in the New Testament, we just try to say, well, that's just a mystery to God. And we're always saying that's the mystery. No, God is the one who reveals it. We're not even talking about saved people here. We are, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king. I mean, God gets involved in the affairs of men. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm reading again in the scripture, what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what was going to happen. So in other words, he's basically saying, I understand why you were adamant that we had to figure out what you had dreamed. Because you knew God was showing you something. But sometimes when someone's not a believer and, and doesn't have the Spirit of God moving in him, he can't contain or understand. He sure can't understand, but he couldn't even contain what God was saying to him. But Daniel's telling him, God was trying to show it to you. Verse 30, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. 
And then he tells the dream that we still study to this day. So you can see why I find it very amazing, an unbelievable story that a king could forget his dream and you would have to tell him the dream and the interpretation. So a lot of times I'll tell myself, well, what I was just asked to do is not that bad. At least I'm not being told that I'm going to have my head cut off by tomorrow if I don't come up with the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar was hardly admitting that he had forgot it. And Daniel had to hear the dream before interpreting the dream. This should tell you, this is the realm where the Lord speaks to you. So move this forward to Acts 2.17. And it tells you in the last days that he's going to pour forth his spirit on your sons and your daughters. And your old men will dream dreams. Yeah, I thought this was happening in COVID. I mean, every day I had 25 dreams on my phone. Everybody was dreaming. I remember when I was going through some um, bad dreams and Brother Jacob prayed over me and he told me they'll stop. And then another time Brother Jacob came to me and asked me, he said, how do you hear God? And when I came to him, I said, why did you ask for me three times in front of my parents how I hear? I said, I want to know why you did that to me. He was laying on the spinal layer and he was going to be leaving town. So I'm like, here, open your eyes. <laughs> Tell me why. And he says, because it's going to change for you and you're going to start hearing God speak to you in your dreams. It's a gift. And this started coming to me immediately after Brother Jacob told me, it's going to change. You will not have tormenting dreams anymore. God will be the revealer of mysteries in your sleep. We had two guys on campus that were twins, and one of them came to my Bible study. And one didn't. One wasn't saved. And so I had gone to bed and slept. And in this dream, I saw one of the guys. And in the dream, he was planning on killing someone. He was stalking someone in order to kill him. And when he finally got the guy and he killed him, then he turned the gun on himself and he killed himself. And the whole time... In the dream, I kept calling him Michael. So when I wake up from the dream, I think, what a weird, strange dream. Here it is, two guys on campus. I think it's the twin that I don't know so well. Like I, I don't have any relationship with this guy. And I'm calling him by the wrong name. So it takes faith sometimes to step into this. So I went and I sat by him in the cafeteria. I said, do you mind us talking a little bit? And he said, okay. And I said, why did I have a dream about you last night where you were stalking a man to kill him? And he said, nobody knows that. He said, I'm stalking a man to kill him because he raped my sister. He said, what do you plan on doing after you kill him? Because all I saw was you turn the anger on yourself. I said, his name is Michael. I just made a shot in the dark that I was interpreting right because I knew God was driving the name home to me because I knew in the dream that's not his name. Why am I calling him that? Because 
they were J names. The kid that came to my Bible said this guy, they had those kind of twinsy names. So when I was calling him Michael, and he said, it is Michael that I plan to kill. And he said, I've dropped out of school to go kill him. I said, don't do it. Well, he promised me he wouldn't. It scared him really badly. I said, God has a, a purpose for your life. Don't do it. There's a different path for you. So it happened right over here in this house. Guess who came to my door? It wasn't him. It was his brother. His brother goes, I'm sorry for being out of Bible study for a while. It's been six months since I've been there. I've been just kind of, uh, you know, coasting. Uh, and I haven't been praying like I should. Uh, I'm ready to renew it. My brother told me what happened. He said, I didn't even know. So that guy and I prayed for hours together as he renewed his being able to pray in the Spirit, be able to worship the Lord in the Spirit. Let me say to you that God is the revealer of mysteries, even to very specific things. It's for them to become a believer. So you're dealing with both dreams and visions. In Visions, Acts 10.10 and Acts 22.17, Peter had two times that he fell into a trance. And you need to ask yourself, what did God show him each time? Once in 10 and once in chapter 22. Proverbs 29.18 says that without a vision, the people perish. So the people that lead need to have a vision. You need to have a vision for your life. People perish without a vision. Habakkuk 2.2 says, Record the vision. Write it on the tablets. That the one who reads it may run. So you take visions and you run with them. It's very detailed. Remember though, don't dream your own dreams and don't write your own visions. These must come from the Lord. And they're very detailed, Acts 9, 9 and 10 and 11. In a vision, Ananias had a vision to go find Saul, which later became Paul. Notice what the vision told him. In Damascus, verse 10, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, he said, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. What happens if it comes down to this where we have to hear that specifically? Remember what I told someone on a foreign field? This is your chance to learn to hear God under pressure because you're going to get wrong information or no information. There comes a time that you have to hear from God. So this tells him the address. And he tells him what's happening in that house. Acts 10, 3, 5, and 6. One day about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. He's also called Peter. Uh... Do you want to know where he is? He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Y'all, the vision gave the city and the name of the person. And we just read over this lightly. And we're not moving in dreams and visions. 
when it says in the last days they're going to be poured out. It says the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. You've got to move by faith expectantly that God will speak to you, both in the daytime hours and in the nighttime hours. Don't waste your nights having bad dreams. That's the, the thing I'm saying out to you. You're wasting your life having bad dreams. All you're trying to do is get rid of something when you need to be asking God to give you something, a gift, so that you can do the will of God. Acts 16, 6 through 7, they passed through in these regions. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into another place, and the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. This is a famous one. This is how Brother Jacob answers the phone with me. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You remember? He gave them a no. A no. Don't go there. Go here. Did you know there's people, like on this map, and they're pleading and they're calling, send somebody to me. You're answering the call. There are people praying for you to talk to them. Sometimes you may just open a car door and speak because there are people that are calling, wanting. You know, I told you one time the Lord told me, go get in the car with that, that car way over there on the Walmart parking lot. Go get in it. Lord, I don't know them. It's beside the point. You don't have to tell the Lord. I didn't know if it was a man or a woman. I get in, the guy's cursing. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm cold, and I have my groceries, and I don't want to tell you why I've come to Walmart four or five times because I keep forgetting whatever I need to pay for my groceries with, and so I've lost my car because I can't think where I parked it. Because I told the Lord, usually I come out, I ask you, where did I park? And you tell me. But today, you don't tell me. Go get in that car with the man. And he's cursing. So he took that as a normal answer. And he told me, I moved to Lake Brownwood to be with my children, and they've rejected me. And I'm going to kill myself. I said, oh, no, you're not. And I said, no, 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 because God wouldn't have put me in the car with you. That is ridiculous for you to have thoughts like that. He heard you and told me, get in the car with you. Now, if you don't mind, could you drive up and down the lanes? It's cold while we look for my car. <laughs> and after he finished driving, I found my car and I was through talking to him. I told him, you need Jesus. My gosh, you're old. You're going to, my gosh, you could die any minute now. <laughs> Let's talk about last minute conversions. So I made him pray. I couldn't tell how much you know, sincerity he had, but, you know, he's praying with his eyes open, and I guess that was good because he was driving. But we cursed our way over to where the car was and prayed our way to me finding the car. Let me tell you, God will tell you addresses, cars. You are living too safely. My gosh, is your goal safety? I think the whole world now has the, the idea of we got to be safe. I haven't seen that with the Lord. That's not, the, not how we do it. There's risk involved. Acts 2.17, your young men will have visions. 
I would look at my dad and say, how on earth will I ever hear God like him? You know, our house, it was all sliding glass doors. Well, there was one problem with the house he built. The glass was popping out because they said that the house was settling and it was causing the frames to bend and it was popping the glass out. He counted how many sliding glass doors he had, like eight, something like that in the house. And so anyway, he has a dream and the Lord shows him out there, this is funny, jacking up the, the porches. Well, so he decided, well, I should ask somebody. The engineer said, Jack, this is funny, Jack, if you jack up the, the porches and, and this all the way around the house, he says, it will cause the glass to snap on the spot because then you're going to put all the weight in the middle when you lift that up. So he thought about it, typical dad. We were still in our house where none of them would open. So we all always would do this when he'd have a dream. We all wanted to see what was going to happen. So we get out there, and Jack starts jacking. And he's jacking it up. <laughs> and he jacks it up. And the doors who had stuck and wouldn't open, they all just slid backwards and forth perfectly then after he jacked up the porches. No one could explain it. The balcony, but also on the backside, he had to do them all. So the it's, it's more than an awning, though. It's the, what would you call it? The roof over the porch, the porch roof. The porch roof had to be jacked up <laughs> by Jack. <laughs> and so it made it all work. And I would say, now if all the glass had broken in, I might have gone, oh, that was a bad dream. You shouldn't listen to your dreams. <laughs> but when it worked like it did, I was like, how can I ever hear like my father hears? So I was constantly praying to God, Lord, how am I going to hear like this man? Like, this is amazing. So this is how communication goes between you and God. You start seeking him, ask him, speak to me. My brother couldn't pass his language class at college, and why make it boring? So they gave him the option to go to Germany. And so he had a dream, and he was going to buy a car when he was in Germany. He had picked out the type of car and everything. He was going to buy a used one because you can get those good cars over there cheap and then pay uh, a fee to have them shipped over. But in the dream, the Lord told him, change the type of car you're buying. And he showed him a vision of the color of the car. And sure enough, without speaking a word of German, my brother went over there and there was just a few small problems. It came a year later and it was supposed to come into Galveston and it came into the East Coast on Florida. But other than no small lack of speaking German, <laughs> Bill got his car. <laughs> so... Anyway, and I'm not saying do stupid things, because anybody can do something stupid. I mean, that's why it says, you know, don't start building the tower and not have money, and everybody goes by and goes, look at that fool. He built the tower, and it didn't work. I mean, that's not what it's talking about, that any crazy ideal that you have. This is talking about not letting a no stop the kingdom of heaven. you got to have wisdom. So anyway, I started asking the Lord, please, would you please speak to me? Like, what am I going to do without my father? You know, Frank Hammonds had that problem when Ida May died. She was the discernment to the deliverance. And he was like stuck in deliverances with no discernment. 
no eye to make, no discernment. And I didn't want that happening to me. So when my dad passed, you know, I told you I was putting Smith Wigglesworth's Bible together when it happened, not knowing I was in a different country. And the Lord said, does a man have to pass for you to have his mantle? So in deliverance, we started out. I was praying for a girl and they were having a lot of problems in their home and their family. And all of a sudden I saw her nightstand by her bed. And I said, the Lord just told me that on the bed stand sits whatever it is that's causing all the trouble in your family. I thought, what on earth could be on her bedstand that could be causing all the trouble in her family? That, and then I told her, your bedstand is not painted, it's wood grain. And you know what it was? She had a little model of a ship. And the model of the ship was the ship they had in their family, and the whole family was fighting over the ship. That's what caused all the problems. It was a model of the exact ship. It wasn't just a model. It was a model of their family ship. And she goes, it's on my bedstand. It's wood grain. Because you'd think a girl would have a painted one. And I knew then that the mantle had passed. So it was coming in with Brother Jacob. Another lady called for deliverance. And we asked her, have you done drugs? And she said, no. And Dad used to tell me, God will speak to me like ticker tape sometimes. And all of a sudden, he spelled out this word to me. And I tried to find it today. And the spelling was important. I was glad he didn't say it to me because then I would have still kept asking me, are you spelling it right? And I go, I know I'm spelling it right because he spelled it. Whether I pronounce it right, I don't know. But we looked it up and it meant, oh, you know, where they sharpen knives yeah, for a shave, you know, to do a razor shave. I thought, I asked the lady, were you beaten by? <laughs> I mean, that didn't sound right. And so finally, after so many tries, it wasn't working. But I appreciate this about Steph. She just kept taking that word and looking it up. She kept, she, I gave her the word and I just went on with the deliverance. Finally, she told me, I found the word in the dictionary. Who knew that God gave me a word out of the urban dictionary <laughs> of all places? And it was a certain kind of marijuana with numbers to it or something. Do you remember? It was a certain thing. Now, remember, I'd ask the lady, have you done drugs? Because I discerned it. There was something. And she goes, no, I've never done drugs. And this was the urban street name. And she goes, oh, yeah, I've done that kind of marijuana. <laughs> urban dictionary. It happened during a very crucial time of her life. And it, it set in motion everything. You know, when you don't tell on yourself, God will tell on you. And he spells it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I appreciate Steph because she just stayed after it till we had it. Another lady, I told her, there's some kind of word curse you've got to break. It's something that you and your brother made an agreement together. No, don't think so. I can't think of anything. And the Lord kept saying it. All of a sudden, I had a vision before my eyes. And I told her, y'all were, it was eight or nine. Is one of those numbers. I gave her the specific year. And she counted up and she said, Oh, yeah. We agreed on a, it was a death thing between the two of them because they had lost a lot of people around them. 
So the Lord was bringing her back to something that she had made a death message about. So Acts 18.9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he told him, I have many in this city. So you need to be pressing in to hearing the Lord in these precious hours. And I would tell you what my dad said. Sometimes you can hear better in a suspended state. It's a time between being asleep and awake. Like when you first wake up, there's a time when you're not all together. <laughs> I don't know how, but that suspended moment when you're not completely awake is a time that my dad would love to hear the Lord. He told me I can hear the Lord the best during that time. Okay. And so I was going to tell you, I enter into that suspended state sometimes, and I'll feel myself go into it. But in deliverances, one time I was, um, I fell asleep in the deliverance. We were at my grandmother's Ruth's house, and the person I was praying with started yelling at me, you've fallen asleep, wake up, wake up. And the deal is, I've had people yell at me during deliverance, and I've had people, I had one guy slap me with a Bible. He took his Bible and he slapped me. He asked me to marry him, and guess what I told him? I'll answer you with my King James. <laughs> but I go into a state and I start seeing things. It's not asleep and it's not awake. It's halfway between. And in this particular one, when he started yelling at me, I woke up and I was being raped in the back seat of a car. When I came awake, I didn't know where I was. But I had my hand on her back and I was praying. And I told her, I said, why am I seeing this backseat of the car and what does this mean? And she looked so shocked. She was a preacher's kid. And she had lied to her parents that night. And she went to a party with a guy. And she said, you described the scene that happened to me that I've never told anyone. She got free, became a missionary. A different one. We've had many missionaries, so don't think you know this when you don't. So, in that suspended state, in deliverance, I dreamed an episode of someone, and she was very upset about something that happened to one of her children. And I said, there's something that you've done that you regretted that you did it. And I described the scene. Then there were two ladies there, and they had four sons among them. And I said, uh, this boy has straight hair. And so one lady goes, well, that counts me out. Both of my sons have curly hair. And then one lady, the other lady says, well, I don't know which one of my sons. And so I make a joke. I said, well, he's white. Because that's all I could see in the vision. He's white with straight hair. And she goes, oh, okay, then it's not my uh, son I adopted. I was just joking. <laughs> I was just describing what I was seeing, not knowing that that would center in on which one. So the Lord will bring you back to those points. That shows you how intimately he's aware of you. So Psalm 16, 7, where my mind instructs me in the night. Psalm 63, 6, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. So there's this state of not quite asleep and not quite awake where the Lord can speak to you, put a pull on him. And so I'm ending with this. Sleep does mysterious things.
He gives sweet sleep to his beloved. Adam, he went to sleep, and God did surgery on him and said, Lo and behold, <laughs> he'd been naming elephants and cheetahs, and, and he was like a whoa man. <laughs> Sometimes you can go to sleep when you're believing for a healing, and God will heal you in the night. He'll send his medicine to you, and you'll wake up well. When you're real sick, you need a faith starter, a point of contact, and you just say, Lord, in the morning, I'm going to wake up whole. Not, I'm going to wake up ten times worse. Daniel 2, 28, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So this is the time that he's going to get you into the mysteries. Like the king will say, was there a little bird that came in and told on me? He speaks to you and he strengthens you. It says, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone. Make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4, 8. So, when you're afraid, you say, Lord, I can sleep because you're awake and you make me dwell in safety. And then here's an, another verse where it's confirmed in the mouth of two witnesses in Psalm 127, 2, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Amen.